Well, let's welcome you back to This Week in the Association. I'm Rob Panier, joined once again by my good buddy, Kevin Luco. And Kevin and I are honored to welcome the guy who led the Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks to the American Association Championship, Anthony Renz. Anthony, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Glad to be here. Now, Anthony, I have to ask to start out with here is that, you know, you were kind of filling in for Chris. He was, he was sometime, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what his status was. So what, what is the official title for Anthony Renz right now as the champion manager there? <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think the title we rolled with all year was acting manager, uh, you know, for, for, you know, three quarters to, to the full season there. And coaches are getting back on the road with this late in the year and being a part of the, at least the run a little bit. Um, yeah. So, you know, bench coach is the official title this year. It took a little bit bigger role that I don't think any of us, uh, you know, could have foresaw, but um happy it ended the way it did. Now, Chris is sitting in the dugout during the playoffs. So was he kind of just, because you had run the team for most of the season, was he just letting you make the calls? How did that work out? Yeah, I think we were actually our last regular season trip to Chicago. Um, you know, Coaster and I had a conversation where he basically said he was feeling better and he was, you know, he, he was going to stay out of the way for the most part. He didn't really want to get in the way of what was going on, but I could lean on him for, you know, uh, any thoughts or concerns or decision making things um, that happened over the course of a game. So that last regular season uh, series against Chicago, you know, having Coaster there, I would say. You know, for the guys in this league that, um, you know, are managed, you know, teams on their own, I have just such an incredible re- amount of respect for them because when I didn't have Coach there, I, sure, I had Kevin McGovern, I had Robbie Lopez and stuff, but sometimes you just need somebody there just to bounce ideas off of and either tell them or have somebody tell you, um, yeah, that's a good idea, or have somebody tell you you're absolutely crazy for thinking about that idea. And so when Coaster finally was able to come around and get on the road and start enjoying things the way they were, it was just awesome to have him there again. And I still, you know, I still deferred to Coaster in certain situations. He is the manager. Um, and, you know, with his experience, there was never a decision I ever made without ever running to buy um, Chris Coast. Do you feel, though, like uh, this is like your third year with Chris and – do you feel like most of the time you felt good that the decision you're making would be the one that Chris would also make? Yeah, um, to be honest with you, Coaster and I are, are similar in a lot of ways. That was one of the first things I, um, you know, I, I really realized probably in 2018 was the first season we were working together, and I would just ask him questions all the time during those games when Michael Schlack was our manager, and I would ask him about certain situations and what he saw and what do you think about this and it became pretty evident that we kind of uh you know had the same core beliefs when it came to baseball and um that i was kind of seeing it through um, the same lens that he was so honestly um working under him you know with the red hawks and at concordia college i've done nothing but try to be a sponge and learn as much as i can and that's why i think it was such a seamless transition because there really isn't much difference between coaster and i and um you know that's what that's what made it fun is is sure I, I happen to be the guy through the most of the year of of leading the way and in the dugout, but um, for Coaster to finally be there at the end and, and be healthier and enjoy it, um, he deserved as much as anybody. Now the moment that you get that that big hit off Leo uh, Pena's bat to, and win that championship, just express with us what that what's that feeling like for you. Yeah, it's just an uh, just an incredible moment for the franchise. You know, I mean, the Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks is arguably the most storied franchise in independent baseball history, and um, what they were able to do, what they were able to accomplish in the Northern League and be a dominant force year in, year out. And for us to kind of, you know, etch our own history in the American Association side of things and win that first championship, uh, just an incredible, incredible experience. And um, you know, Jeff Bidiger happened to be in the stands too behind home plate, um, which was an emotional sight to see him win one. Bruce Thome, um, the owner, um, along with Brad Thome, to have them be there and obviously see that, and then obviously Coaster be a part of it as well. It just there's a lot of history with this organization, and just to be able to say that we're that first American Association title will never get old. And um, just a awesome, awesome moment for Fargo and the fans. I, I thought the environment was terrific, and they got an instant classic. And, and you know, we just happened to get the, the the final hit to seal the deal. From the dugout, how did it feel? There was twelve hundred eighty-three fans there for the final game. Did it feel like a full house? I mean, 
the energy to me for uh, watching it from upstairs was just incredible. Yeah, it really did, and, and I would even I would even go back a year um, and, and um, talk about the John Silviano Grand Slam against Chicago in Game Five of the North Division Final. Um, there was probably 800 people in the seats that night on a cold night in September, and when he hit that, I felt like the stadium was going to come to the ground. And this is very similar to what um, you're referring to. It, it, sure, 1285, but I remember when the game was over and kind of the dust had settled, we were hugging on the field. I just remember looking up into the crowd and thinking, wow, this is, this is an amazing crowd. And I think Coaster said it best is, you know, we didn't have, um, you know, 5,000 people here, but we had the right people here. And um, when 12, you know, 100 um, diehard Red Hawk fans are in attendance, I think you get almost at times a better atmosphere than you would maybe in a random, you know, Friday night in July for firework night. It was a, uh, it was an awesome playoff atmosphere and, um, I thought the crowd was was absolutely terrific, and like you said, it felt it felt like there was five thousand people in there, no doubt about it. Now, what has this been like, kind of for the organization? Two thousand nineteen, kind of the disappointing playoff uh, run against St. Paul. Then twenty twenty is the crazy COVID year. Last year, you make it to the championship. This year, you win it all. What what is that? How does the organization kind of you know filter up to that point of being champions this year? Yeah, you know, I, I would, you know, I think ever since, um, you know, 2018, obviously it was Coaster in my first year, and I think that year we finished a couple games over 500, but I think that year also we were in first place come August 1st and had some key injuries down the stretch. Um, we lost, I know, uh, Chris Jacobs uh, for a little bit of time during that run. So 2018, I felt like we kind of turned the tide to heading in a positive direction, and 2019 had a great run, and, I, you know, I would arguably say in that year, the year, Jim Bennett was manager, you know, if Yosha Medina uh, doesn't get hurt, Daniel Comstock doesn't get hurt down the stretch, I'd like to see what happens in that playoff series. St. Paul obviously deserved it. They, they, every punch we threw them in that series, they responded with a haymaker of their own. They were a deserving champion. Um, so we kind of built the momentum after those first two years. COVID season was, was kind of just such a flash that it was even hard to really wrap your head around. And then, like you said, last year, you know, we made the final. I, I felt like the Chicago series was, was as good as what you were going to get in the American Association. And then, you know, having to go play KC at that, after that emotional series was tough. And KC was loaded, um, you know, per usual. And, and they took it to us pretty good. So this year to, to get back to be really the best team, I thought, in the league uh, for about uh, 96 games. And then Kansas City beating us at the, regular, at the end of the regular season for that, for that uh, you know, best regular season record. I think, you know, to go into the playoffs, lose every game one, the resiliency of our guys to, to bounce back after every game one loss. And um, I just think we had a, a great group of talented players. Talent wins games. Um, but I also think the clubhouse and the environment that we've, uh, that Coaster really has kind of curated that I was kind of able to just lead the way, I think, you know, help, gives us an advantage in games that, uh, you know, when we face adversity, our guys kind of welcome that, and they responded um, in every possible way in every game that they needed to in the playoffs. And uh, like I said, it, it, it proved, uh, you know, it, it was it was good proof there in, in game five of the, of the championship that, you know, down 8-3, every reason to kind of fold the tents up, but we never stopped fighting, and that's that's kind of been the Red Hawk way for the last several years. How happy are you for Leobaldo Pena? You know, 2019, everybody's kind of hanging on that one error when he's having to play out of position. Then he gets the game-winning hit last week. How happy are you for him in that situation? Yeah, you know, it's funny. You know, if you, you said before the game, who would you want to get the game-winning hit for the Red Hawks? I, I would find it hard to not have Leo Pena be at the top of that list just because he's been with uh, Coaster and I ever since 2018. He's the longest tenured Red Hawk. He's, you know, in my opinion, um, since 2018, I think he's been the best two-way player in the league. I think there's no better hitter um, and defender that plays both sides of the ball the way Leo does uh, at a premium position nonetheless. Um, he's absolutely terrific. So, I mean, I, I couldn't have been happier for, for him to get that big hit. It, it was the storybook ending that the season needed. Um, he's been an incredible, incredible um, force in our lineup for several years, and you know he's almost well on his way to getting his name up on that up on the rafters. To be honest, I mean, in terms of American Association records, he holds a lot of them for us and has become that franchise icon. So, like I said, I don't 
I don't think you could cap off a championship season any better than a Leobaldo walk-off hit in uh, Game 5 of the championship series. Now, the league today just came out with a video of John Silviano mic'd up on the bench. Do you see Silviano as a guy that could be a bench coach someday, or would you rather just say, John, just get healthy and get back on the field again? Yeah, I'll take John Silviano in the lineup rather than a coaching role all day long. I, as long as that guy wants to swing a bat, uh, he can be in any lineup that I'm ever, uh, I'm ever on a coaching staff for. Um, you know, I, I think you know that again. You know, shows again the uh, the resilience of the team. You know, to to lose uh, quote unquote Mister September the way we did after Game Two. You know, heading back to Fargo. I I think if Silviano's healthy, I think. You know, our expectations would have probably have been to, to handle Milwaukee and beat them, at least win the series two out of three at home with Silviano. And once the Silviano injury hit, you know, I don't think the players think this way, but as a coaching staff, it's like, okay, now we got we have our work really cut out for us. I mean, you're, you're taking away one of the biggest playoff performers in league history, and you're not going to be able to replace that, so you're going to have to grind and do it different ways and, you know, use our athleticism and speed. But, um, you know, I, I – as long as Sylvie wants to swing a bat, he can swing a bat for me any day of the week. Uh, his playoff uh, resume is, is second to none, and his energy is obviously second to none as those videos show. So we miss Sylvie, but another guy that I'm really happy for that he gets another championship ring because he was as big a part of, of the reason we won the league as, as anybody else on the team. Was that the message sent to the team after game two? Because, you know, I, I commented on the post-game show. I said that, you know what, it's going to have to be everybody else um, picking up a little bit of the slack. It can't just be one guy. Yeah, I, I def, you know, I think the guys, I, I honestly think the way Silviano uh, pushed through game two, basically playing on a broken leg probably for five to six innings, I think the guys really responded to that. Um, I think, you know, if – to see your teammate put everything on the line for you in the final games of the season and literally break his leg for you in a, in a playoff series. I think um, the guys responded to that. I think it was, a you know, I think that first game in Fargo game three, I think, you know, was that, um, you know, emotional punch that we threw for Sylvie and came out kind of guns blazing, uh, to take a commanding two, one lead in the series. And um, I think the guys rallied around, rallied around Sylvie. And, and I think that showed throughout the series, but uh, like I said, I would have much rather have having uh, had him hitting four throughout it, but glad we got it done with the group of guys that were out there. You know, Anthony, I have to tell you, I could probably give you 12 reasons why you guys, you know, could have, phoned it in at one point you know you lose three out of four at the end of the season then you lose the first game against winnipeg come back and battle to win both of those contests you lose the first game against kansas city go to kansas city and win both of those games you lose john silviano in game two five elimination games kevin mcgovern battling injuries you still go out and win all the time that's just amazing to me yeah it's you know like i said i i Hopefully in future playoff runs, we, we, you know, find it in us to win a game one every once in a while, because <laughs> I wouldn't advise anybody to just lose every game one that you're in. But yeah, I mean, you know, to go to Winnipeg and lose game one, especially after I, you, you make a great note, Kevin, of, of, of uh, Rob, I mean that, you know, you make a great note of us losing three out of four to Kansas city and then driving up to Winnipeg and losing one. And, and now you're thinking, Holy cow, we're a 64 win team. And this can all come to a crashing halt, uh, two games in because Winnipeg could be on any given night. They're a, they're a proven powerhouse in this league. And for the guys to respond at home and win the next two, obviously the Max Murphy injury was a big factor in that series. Um, but you know, still, you know, they have a good team otherwise and, you know, to win those two and then, to lose game one the way we did against Kansas City, um, you know, to come back and win those next two is an incredible feat. Kansas City, um, just an incredibly talented roster year in, year out. And um, to go into their to their yard and beat them twice in elimination games is, like I said, it it shows the resilience of the, of the team. And then, obviously, we did that in, in you know, the championship series, too, losing our uh, best playoff performer and, and then, you know, uh, being down 8-3 um, in the final game. So, um, it's it just, uh, I think, you know, kind of the, the attitude of our team is that when you're a Red Hawk, um, you know, you, the expectations are the same for everybody. We want you to go out there, uh, perform and play good and just give you as much resources as we can around you to hope, hopefully flourish as a player. And I think, 
Uh, that's what you saw with a lot of our guys, you know, Alec Olin, for example, and uh, Sam Dexter and, and all the unsung heroes, Evan Alexander having a big championship series. I'm sure we have the guys at the top that can contend with anybody in the league in terms of a talent perspective. But I think uh, much like you'll see in Major League Baseball come October, I think the depth of the roster uh, really allowed us to have an advantage over our opponents because we were confident uh, with anybody in any situation um, and the playoffs bared that out. Now let's talk about Kevin McGovern for a moment. I, I, you know, I've known him for nine years now and I thought it, it most competitive guy I've probably ever come across, <laughs> you know, to be honest with you, I, I I'm amazed that, he was a you know put his team in a, a situation in third inning and just going hey look I I'm done you know and I, I want my team to win for as a manager when you have a guy like that what does that mean to you to know you can have confidence not only in your pitching coach guy but your your ace yeah you know heading into that game you know Gov had thrown a lot of inning innings for us throughout the year we wouldn't have been where we were without Kevin McGovern and um you know he he had some you know some rough starts near the end but he the, the game he pitched against Kansas City in game 1 of the of the division final was an incredible performance so gov always kind of has that magic but heading into that game we had you know we had discussed kind of the night before and in you know the best part about Kevin McGovern is he's so aware of how his body feels. He can tell you in the first inning after five pitches, if he has it or if he doesn't, um, I'm not going to say that he didn't have it against Milwaukee. I just think he knew he wasn't at his best. Um, and when I took that mound visit, um, I think it was maybe in the second or third inning, I, I forget uh, what inning exactly was, but when I took that mound visit, it was really a conversation. I looked at Christian and I looked at um, Kevin and I said, you know, Gov, how do you feel? And he goes, you know, we kind of need a strikeout right here. I said, I got Feldman ready to rock. I think it's a good spot if uh, for Feldman to come in here and kind of minimize damage and keep us in the game. I said, you know, you battled through us in the first inning uh, to keep the game at one nothing. I I was I went up to Gov after that first inning. I said, man, that, that that's going to be a big inning in the long run. I said that was a win for us to hold them a one run right there. You did your job, and although it was a shortened performance and not the heroic performance that you're that we're all. Um, you know, used to seeing out of Gov, it's almost as heroic to be aware of, of what he felt like and to to have um, the ability to say, yeah, I think Feldman's the better option. And then we bring Feldman in, he minimizes damage. And, you know, in the end, it was a one-run ball game. Um, and those early innings that we were able to kind of minimize damage, you know, proved to be a, a lasting difference uh, once that final score uh, came across the bottom line. Now, one thing that we noticed before the game was the sight of the tall sycamore, Tyler Grower, walking down to the bullpen before the game. And we were discussing it throughout the game. Was there a point in which you would have utilized Tyler Grower in that ball game? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in that situation, you know, when, when it gets to the, to the point where it's the last game of the season or a decisive game three, it's really all hands on deck. Anybody that um, has the ability to pitch, um, you know, is, is – uh, basically on the card and ready to rock. And, you know, Grower came up to me before the game. and said, I feel good. I, if you ever need me in any situation, I'm ready to rock. Um, probably if, if there would have been any situation for Grower to enter the game, it would have been an extra inning situation where the game would have lasted 13, 14 innings. Um, he probably was never going to pitch within the first nine innings. We just had um, our relievers ready to go and, and well-rested, and Alex Dubord well-rested for a multi-inning performance. So he probably wouldn't have entered the game within the first nine innings, but um, if that, if Leobaldo Pena and, and other guy uh, doesn't get a big hit and then Manny Boscon wouldn't have, and we, you know, would have went late into the night, you know, you might have saw Tyler Grower tow the rubber for us late in the game, and I would have had all the faith in the world that he would have been able to give us a good performance and, and, and a good effort to, uh, you know, possibly win the championship. Anthony, I think heading into the playoffs, the one challenge that it looked like the, the Achilles heel of this club, I guess we could say, it was the, the bullpen was struggling a little bit there. Luke Lynn was having some troubles, and John, Joe Jones was struggling a little bit for you. But you got the most out of that group. Alex DeBoard with three great innings there in, in the championship game. How do you kind of manage that group when guys are having a little bit of you know tired arm at the end there and still try to get the performances that you're looking for out of them? Yeah, um, one of the things um, Chris Ghost has always said to me from the very beginning is the you know a manager's toughest job is to manage the bullpen. And when you 
go over the course of 100 games and you're using guys the way you do, um, you know, they're going to get tired. And, and the way our roster was constructed, constructed, you know, we were, uh, you know, a little thin in the bullpen in terms of just depth and numbers. I, pro- I would imagine that we probably had the least amount of arms in the league. Um, and early on, the way we were winning games and, and winning at the rate we were when you win nine in a row, typically when you win nine in a row, you're going to have to use your bullpen a lot. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes when you lose games, it's nice because you're able to rest guys, but we just happened to be in a situation early on in that season, especially over the first month, month and a half, where we were winning so much that the guys were out there and performing at a high level, and that's when they're at their freshest. So, you know, come late in the season, we tried to get guys more rest when we could. Um, you know, Luke Lind, um, like you said, he had a little hiccup at the end, but he he got massive outs for us, and I never lost faith in Luke Lind. He's been uh, a, a stable uh, guy back there for us for the last two seasons. I would throw him in any situation on any given night, and, you know, we kind of proved that late. So um, him, in addition to Reed Burlingmeyer late in the year, was one of our best acquisitions, another power arm that pitched big innings for us. Joe Jones has the most electric stuff on the team, and, uh, you know, Jonesy, it's one of those things. He was in that role for us where uh, he was the guy I would always, you know, when I'd radio down to the bullpen, I'd always say, you know, Jones 75% ready to put out a fire. So when I threw Joe Jones in situations, it typically was first and second, nobody out, runner on second, one out. He's not exactly in situations that uh, relievers are craving, but he does an amazing job. He pitched big innings in every single series. Um, and then Alex Dubord, the guy, you know, the reliever of the year, the most cool, calm, and collected closer in the league, almost heartbeat, never gets out of whack. And um, his performance in the final game, you know, the ninth inning, when he came out after the ninth inning, getting out of the ninth inning, I just told him, I said, Doobie, this is your game. We're not going to lo- we're we're going to lose this game with you on the mound. And he that's what he wanted. He wanted the ball. So um, for me to take the ball away from Alex, he would have probably had to. He probably would have, you know, said, "No way um, uh, is that going to be a possibility." And I'm glad it just worked out. and We ended it when we did. Now, I don't mean to throw you into a big controversy. You know, we're living in a polarized society out there, and I don't want to cause problems for you out there, but, but I, I need a, an, an honest answer from you. So, Christian Correa or Drew Ward, who's faster? Uh, Drew Ward. Uh, Drew Ward will probably tell you that uh, he's one of the fastest guys in the league. That was one of the inside jokes in the clubhouse. Uh, Wardy speed would always show up in big moments, but... Yeah, I think Drew's going to beat uh, CC uh, on most nights. Uh, but I'll say this about CC: you know, he might not be the most fleet of foot, but uh, one of the plays that's probably going to get overlooked when you go back and rewatch that game is the line out from Drew Ward and Christian Correa not getting doubled off of second base. Um, it's a it's a play that gets taken for granted, and every professional player should not get doubled up in that situation. But I guarantee you, if that play was played. Uh, for every player in the league, there'd be a ton of guys, even really good base runners, that would get doubled up in that situation. And you know, if he gets doubled up there, it's one out to, or two outs with Leo Pena up. You know, it takes the energy out of the room. Instead, he he's able to kind of freeze on a line drive, get back to second base, and then scores on the next hit. So the base running from CC and and honestly, Christian, um, his future in the game is so bright. He he's going to be a manager one day or a coach at a really high level. He just He's uh, he's won six championships and eight seasons independent ball, which is absolutely unheard of. And um, you don't do that by accident. It's not coincidence. There's a reason. And part of that is he's basically an extra coach out there. And what he did with our pitching staff all year is phenomenal. But yeah, Drew Ward's faster, but uh, CC was just as, as he needed to be as fast as he needed to be on that last hit. So I'm glad he was. I thought Jack Michaels used the right phrase, um, chugging home. Yeah. That was well said by Jack. And, uh, you know, it's, if you would have told me, I tell you one thing I didn't have on my bingo card before the game is that Christian Correa would score the game winning run in the bottom of the 10th inning. Uh, I would have told you you were crazy, but that kind of fits what our team did. If you'd have told me you, you, you know, you got to win two games in Kansas city to advance. I'd have said, boy, I'd have signed up to just win one. Uh, we ended up defying the odds there and defied the odds all season long. So um, it's kind of kind of fitting that it ended the way it did with uh, Christian sliding across home plate. Yeah, I guess it was a night for the not-so-fleet of foot as we saw a Keon Barnum stolen third base in the same game. I mean, it was just crazy. 
Yeah, and, and that, that the game itself, you know, there, there's so many moments. I, I haven't gone back. I, I've seen so many highlights of it. I haven't gone back and watched the game from start to finish. But I would imagine that if I rewatched the game, there would be stuff that would happen that I've just totally, you know, forgot about and can't believe it happened in the same game. I mean, even Evan Alexander hitting the home run when he did, it's hard to remember that that even happened in that game of because of what happened in the last four or five innings. But, yeah, that, that game had it all. I mean, as far as, you know, a product goes in this league, the American association has to be so proud that um that type of game decided um the championship and and the 2022 champion and you know even i can go further with that you know in my time since 2018 i think the league's never been more competitive than what it is in 2022 and i think um you know that you know makes us a little bit more proud and winning the title you know my first couple years we had the air hogs and um, the Houston Apollos have been in the league, and this year I think it was the most balanced the league's ever been. And to come out on top with all the great uh, teams that are in this league and the great managers is just a testament to, you know, the players that we had in that clubhouse and the leadership that we've had from the top. It was uh, truly an incredible year. I thought a good point was made on the American Association broadcast that there's not a single Red Hawk that has played Major League Baseball. Whereas you got teams like Kansas City that had tons of them and guys um, throughout the league that had major experience, but not a one on the Red Hawks. Yeah, and you know I think you know you know the way that you know we've had we have guys on the team that um, one of the things that's hard to find at the independent level and and in in partner leagues is when you have guys that come here, you never know how bad they truly want to win. Um, I sure I will always take a talented player push comes to sub you need talent to win you need talent to win in this league if you don't have it um eventually you will get exposed but you also want to have the right players and i think the mix of guys you know leo pina being here since 2018 manny boscon being on the team last year that lost in the final sam dexter being on the team uh that lost in the final last year drew ward being a part of 2020 and how we struggled early on and then went on a flurry late in the year and had tons of momentum um christian correa being a, a champion everywhere he's gone i think you know, you want to have the right guys. You want guys that want to win. Not only We all want to get out of here. Every player wants to get to the major leagues. No one wants to be um, in a partner league. But um, part of the deal when you sign up here is, you know, we're evaluated on winning, wins and losses. And I think um, having the guys that have the desire to win every single night goes a long way over the course of 100, 111 games or whatever we played. And I think that showed through with our, with our roster is we might not have had the big leaguers, but – we had the right guys, much like we had the right fans in the seats. So um, I'll go to war against any team, any professional team out there on the circuit with the guys that we had um, in that clubhouse. Well, that's a great lead-in by you because I think a lot of people are going to be looking at this and going, wow, you did such a great job with this team. And I understand you have connections with Concordia as well, working with Chris and managing there. But, you know, you're, you're the championship manager here for the most part. I, I would gather the opportunities are there. Are you happy where you're at, or, or do you see this as kind of a stepping stone to something else? You know, honestly, when, you know, I, I, when I was brought on by Jeff Didiger in 2018 and um, under Michael Schlag and Chris Coast, you know, I, I looked at the Fargo thing as a stepping stone. I thought I'd only maybe be there one or two years, and I, I'd move on to something else. Um, and here I am going on, you know, five years and possibly a sixth. And yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't, I wouldn't call it a stepping stone because I have so much respect for the organization and, um, so much comfort in the organization under Coaster and Jeff Didiger. And, um, you know, the, the season that we just had, it's, it's, you know, it's just so incredible and I'm so happy, you know, for it. I, I think, you know, being 29, I'll be 30 here in another month. So my coaching career, um, is still all ahead of me. So to have this already on the resume, it, it's pretty incredible. Um, the opportunity to leave would have to be an opportunity that I just can't say no to. I'm not just going to leave the, you know, the Fargo Moorhead Badhawks and Chris Coast and Jeff Bittiger for just any old job. It has to be something that I really think, um, I can't pass up. And, um, honestly, when you're in that, you know, when you're in this, you know, kind of career space, you know, mobility is, you know, oftentimes I think, you know, a little bit overvalued. I think when you have that comfort and you trust the people around you to know that this is going to bring on a better opportunity at some point, not just jump at everything that might be thrown your way. Um, you know, I think, you know, that goes a long way and, and I, I'll be absolutely listen to uh, any and all, um, you know, interested parties that would, you know, maybe want me to do, maybe manage or be a coach somewhere. But 
Um, like I said, you know, leaving the Red Hawks would, would have to be something that I just can't pass up because of the, you know, the uh, love I have for the organization and love for the people that I work with. So um, that being said, if the Miami Marlins would like me to manage the team, I am available for the Miami Marlins. So that, that job I'll take. You know, uh, Kevin and I were talking about the fact that, you know, they named Chris Kosas the manager of the year. And as you said, you, you were managing this team for, for quite a bit of the season. Did, did you get at least like half of the trophy or something? Or how, how did you work this out with Chris? Yeah, he uh, – one thing uh, Coaster did, uh, you know, um, that he uh, was able to do is uh, some of the – the uh, the playoff bonus money um, that he has in his contract is is uh, probably going to come my way, which which will be I'll be absolutely super thankful for that. And um, I didn't get any part of the trophy, but you know the minute the manager of the year award was you know kind of announced, he texted me right away and said congratulations on being manager of the year. And I said, well, I said you know, honestly, I the acting manager role was so great because you know when we won games everybody would give me credit. And when we'd lose them, I just blame coaster. So I, I kind of, I kind of really enjoyed the acting manager title. Uh, there wasn't as much pressure, but like I said, you know, uh, the way I've worked under coaster and the way that I know coaster, the way I do, you know, it, it, it kind of, I just took everything that I've learned from him and just kind of, I was just the mouthpiece for it. Um, and I think that's why we had the success we did. I mean, we had great success last year in getting to the final and that experience went a long way. So not like I was doing any crazy unorthodox things that um, he wouldn't normally do. I, I basically, st- uh, you know, stuck to the script that, that I've seen him use before. And, um, you know, luckily our players, um, again, you know, carried that script all the way to a, a championship win. Do you think, I mean, kind of looking forward to next season, uh, do you expect, you know, maybe like a Kevin McGovern retires, some of these guys might step aside, or are you thinking you're going to get basically the same group of guys back next year? Um, I, you know, and, you know, just in this, you know, the way I've actually, on the other side of things, the way I've talked with um, Jeff Bittiger as much as I have and, and much as we did this season and as much as we do every season, you know, it's hard to have continuity in this, in this environment, you know, guys are going to take different opportunities. Guys are going to get, you know, look to make a little bit more money in different leagues and maybe turn that into an affiliated contract. I would say personally with the roster that we have now that the one thing that we will probably have um, a lot of continuity with is the pitching staff. Uh, the pitching is, is a lot of young guys. I mean, we have rookie of the year pitcher, Tyler Grauer, Peyton Wigginton, Davis Feldman, even Alex Dubor, Joe Jones, Reed Burleymeyer, all those guys are young, controllable assets. Um, now they might get a chance with affiliated ball, but I would expect most of them to come back to Fargo and give it a, another go. I think where we could have maybe some more changes would be on the lineup side of things you know you have some veteran players that are getting to that 30 uh 30 year old mark where you know money is going to become a little bit more uh, of a bigger deal and, and a league like mexico can provide that um you know we have drew ward going to mexico for winter ball um a guy like manny boscon i'm sure mexican teams are going to be all over him and uh if anything there would probably be a little bit more turnover in the lineup uh, but you know even alec Golan, evan alexander um, you know, Nick Novak, Ben Lavorsi, Leo Pena, we're going to make a top priority to bring back and hopefully uh, be a Red Hawk for life. And uh, Sam Dexter, same thing. So uh, I would say the lineup would probably have a little bit more turnover and the pitching staff would, would probably stay consistent. But you never know. I mean, it's not like we planned on signing Drew Ward and we didn't even plan on having Peter Maris on the opening day roster. And both of them were the top, you know, two, one of the two of the top two hitters in the league come, you know, throughout the year. So things are so fluid in the off season. One thing I learned is you can never be prepared for what uh, an off season can throw at you. But I know that when we take the field to defend the title next year, it'll be a talented group and uh, we'll be ready for everybody's best shot. That's for sure. Well, Anthony, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And it is always a custom here at this week in the association to give our guest a final thought. So whatever you'd like to talk about, the floor is yours. Yeah, I just, you know, I just like to say, you know, thanks to all the, you know, the Fargo fans, Fargo Moorhead fans and and the constant support. And then I'm happy that we won the championship for a lot of reasons and proud and happy for all the players. But uh, for obviously Jeff Bittiger winning, winning a championship, um, is pretty incredible with the roster he's built and for Chris Coast to be uh to enjoy the the championship for his for his hometown team is like I said a storybook ending so 
for those two guys to to put another ring on their finger as Red Hawks um, is something that uh, I'll carry with me for the rest of my coaching career, no matter where it ends up. So I uh, can't wait for 2023. We're going to enjoy 2022 and just an incredible, incredible year that oftentimes left, left us speechless. And I think that ending uh, did the same. So amazing year. Thanks for having me. Can't wait to get back to work for 2023. Anthony Rams, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks thank for you. Doing this. Well, Kevin, great having Anthony on and a fantastic guest. And I'm happy for him that he wanted to come helping the team win the championship. Yeah, it was a great job by him all season, I guess. You know, I'm going to pull the curtain back a little bit because I guess, you know, it's no secret. Um, we voted George Samus for manager of the year. And the only reason I did that was I just didn't really feel, have a feel for the situation in Fargo because I thought, well, you, you, can, you can vote for Chris Coles, but Anthony Renz did a lot of the managing this year. So to me, that I felt like I kind of, didn't really feel justified in voting for Coles. So that's the reason I, I, I had went with Samus. But, I mean, that conglomerate of Coles and Renz is just, I mean, they just did an incredible job. Absolutely. You know, and I think sometimes what's forgotten in this league is that it is that combination of manager and, and bench coach or manager and pitching coach that really make a team go. I mean, you look at in Chicago, uh, it's Clyburn and, and Butch Hobson. It's Montgomery and Bobby Poston, Sioux City. It's it's Anthony Renz and Chris Coston in uh, in Fargo. Um, you know, it's it's when you have that kind of combination where you have a manager and one of those coaches that are really close and make good decisions together that you wind up being a winner. And we got to see that in action this year as Chris has you know had to spend a majority of the season out battling through a back injury and. Anthony delivered for the club. So, um, you know, congratulations to them. And great to see that relationship working out so well. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be interesting to see what the career path of Anthony Renz will be. But, well, wherever he ends up, we know he's going to do well. Absolutely, because he showed quite a bit of genius and intelligence this year. So, good for him. Well, Kevin, we've had a, a few days here to ponder back over this uh, American Association Championship and, uh, you know, a, a lot of great moments in that series. You and I got to witness probably all of that uh, and, and see all the action. And uh, truly, one, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, that, that might be the greatest series I, I've ever seen. It was just a crazy thing and fun, fun time for sure. There was a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of momentum swings when you look at the – First three games, none of them were close. Seven two, seven three, and I, I forget uh, what um, game four was, but I mean, it, three nothing. It seemed like three nothing, yeah. But it just didn't really seem like, you know, Fargo was getting a sniff in that game. So I mean, it wasn't like it was five nail biters, but when you look at uh, if all they split the first four games, that was pretty even up, and then. I mean, that last game was everything that a baseball fan could ask for. Yeah, you talked about, you know, Keon Barnum with that big stolen base and turning into a run, and then Hector Sanchez homers after that, and then Milwaukee seems to blow that game open, and then all three big errors by Milwaukee allow the Red Hawks to get back into the contest. And how much happier could we be for Leobaldo Payne? You know, Anthony talked about that a little bit and how happy he was. But, you know, you and I got to see that, that costly error in the uh, in the St. Paul series, and a, a great guy, fantastic human being, and it's just great to see that he came up with that hit, kind of a redemption moment for him. I got to talk to Michael Lang quite a bit um, during the last three games in Fargo, and Lang contends to this day that that should have been ruled a base hit because he really smoked that ball. So it wasn't like it was a simple grounder that um, Pena missed, but. You know, it's funny, another moment with Michael Lang, if you recall that game in 2019, Fargo jumped out, out to a 5 nothing lead in that game. So when uh, Milwaukee made it 8-3, to I just kind of sarcastically said to Michael Lang, I said, well, nobody ever comes back from a five-run lead in the championship series in a game five, do they? And it was like right after that, the Fargo makes their big run and ties the game up. It was just crazy. Crazy for sure. So we should also pat on the back the Milwaukee Milkmen because, uh, 
you know, exactly. as much as we talk about the, you know, the challenges that um, Fargo faced heading down the stretch right there, you know, what uh, was just start from the beginning? You, you lose your, your top starter. David Holmberg goes to Mexico. You lose your, t- your closer from last year. Nate Hadley gets signed. Adam Brett Walker, the MVP of the league, goes to Japan to play. They lost their best player at the All-Star break in Chad Sedio. Um, they also lost uh, th- their number two starter had left early on in the season. Um, Estrada's left after a little bit. I mean, it was like there was every reason for Milwaukee to quit. And the fact that they got to that championship series is a testament to the great job that um, Dan Kenzie and, and Anthony Barone have done there and the heart of that team. You know, we were talking about the 2019 play with um, Pena, and I, I, the thought was in my head uh, during the inning in which Fargo came back due to some mishaps in the field by Milwaukee, if Mason Davis is healthy and playing shortstop, I don't think we see two of the errors that we saw during the Fargo rally. So... I mean, we we can deal in what ifs all night long, but to me that to me that stood out a bit. Yeah, and there, again, another guy out, Corral Prime out for them. So you know, it's uh, it it was every opportunity for Milwaukee to say, hey, you know, it was a good season, but you know, we just didn't have all the you know the bullets and the and the gun at the end there. But man, hats off to those guys, and they had a lot good crowd that came from Milwaukee too to support their team. So what does it pat them on the back as well there too? So. Great job they're doing there. Well, Kevin, uh, look, kind of looking ahead now at this point, you and I will begin next week going week uh, each week looking at each of the teams and kind of recapping back to what happened this past season and looking ahead to next year. Uh, any moments kind of looking back now that you're, you're stand out for the, for the 2022 season for you? You know, it's, you got middle of May all the way through Labor Day, and you know right now to me, everything is just a blur. You know, there's no specific moments that right now really stand out. I guess it's the just the pattern in which the season went in. You know, I'm looking at the East Division, and uh, like a team like Kane County was. You know, you and I were talking about the pretty anonymous team, and. You know, not a real superstar, but then, you know, you want to talk about a story, we'll talk about Jimmy Kerrigan and the season he had. But even then, it just seemed like um, Kane County was not a team that many talked about. And, and through it all, they managed to tie for first place in the division. And, you know, another story in the East, too, was uh, Cleburne with the horrible start they had and how they were – Logan Watkins was able to right the ship there and get Cleburne into the playoffs, and they made a good showing for themselves. You had all the stuff in the West Division, too, with Sioux City getting off the mat after a tough start and having a chance in the final weekend to make the playoffs. So I don't see specific moments as a whole, but I just remember just uh, the the path the season took, and that, to me, is what's going to stand out. You know, I'm right with you, and it is – kind of the body of work of this season that was a lot of fun. You know, you look at a Kansas City and think, set an American Association record for the second straight year in home runs, and, you know, that Lords of Legend group out there was just really, you know, putting up phenomenal numbers. And then, you know, they kind of hit a a, a brick wall, so to speak, when Gabriel Guerrero decides to to hang it up. And then they're battling through injuries with John Hernandez and, David Thompson's hurt at the end, and Matt Adams goes down for them. Still wound up coming, you know, putting together uh, you know the top record in in the league, and it, you know it's another great job by Joe Calvapietra. And you look at uh, seven guys this season won at least ten games in, in the league, and usually we see like three or four. You know, I, I think that's something that kind of got lost this season is is that uh, we didn't have one guy outside of Matt Hall who really dominated. And Hall was just phenomenal. You know, we could talk about him all day long. But you had a lot of guys who put together very, very good seasons this season. And, uh, you know, 10 guys. That, that, there are seven guys. That's a phenomenal mark. And Peyton Wigginton and Jordan Kipper right, right off that mark. And um, 
Alex DeBoard kind of came out of nowhere to be the, the guy closing out games and, and what, setting the um, you know top mark this season for uh, saves in the league. Tasker Strobel was a guy who was you know kind of a journeyman guy for Gary, working himself between the bullpen and the starting rotation, became the, you know one of the best closers in the league. And it's those fun stories that I love every year, Kevin. I, you know, guys that get a chance to rebound on their career or guys that take, get an opportunity to do something else than what they've done before, like a task or struggle and just turn into superstars. And it's one of the things that makes American association baseball great. And, uh, you know, one of the things I've come to love about it over the years. So what about the one, two punch in Kane County? I know I'm sound like a Mark for the Cougars, but you know, who had Jack Fox finishing in double digits and wins? And and given a full season, I was I would be really interested in seeing what kind of a record Weston Muir would have um, uh, accumulated too with all the wins he was racking up in the second half of the season. So, you know, it's those guys that slip under the draft radar and and uh, have to take the independent baseball approach, like you talked about with Wigginton, like we talked about with Tyler Grower and. Now with Jack Fox and Weston Muir, it's good to have a league like the the American Association around so guys like that get the, that opportunity. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, it's great to see a Fargo come up and get a championship in the American Association for the first time. And it, it's great to see the playoff chases and races that we saw this season and you know, coming down to the final weekend for deciding who was going to win the West Division and who was going to get into the playoffs for that final spot and who was going to wind up winning the East. And uh, that last week in the, of the season in the East was absolutely crazy. That, that was fun to watch. It's five teams competing to still get in there and three battling for the top record. All those stuff was a lot of fun and, and, and enjoyable. But it, but it's still stories about a Jack Fox, a Weston Muir, a, a Tyler Grower, a Peyton Wigginton. It's those stories that are really going to stand out for me. And so I'm glad to see Zach Narrier rebounded this year to come back to have another phenomenal year for this club. And, and uh, you know, it, it's uh, Wyatt Ulrich got to, finally got a shot there at affiliate ball. And, and um, you know, those things are fun. And, and, and I'm glad to see those guys are getting their opportunities and um, – I'm loving it, Kevin. It, it was a fun season, and I'm, I'm sad it's over. <laughs> so I, I'm an honest. I mean, I know it had to come to an end, but I'm sad to see it see it do so. Yeah, I I think I put it out the thought there, um, like two days after the season. Uh, what, what the heck am I supposed to do till next May now? Thank goodness for hockey. Otherwise, I'm lost. You know, Kevin, and I, I want to. Uh, Talk about one other part that we haven't really mentioned here. It's the part that I think you and I are most directly affected by. Uh, great job this season by guys like Tanner Hoops in his first year. And Ryan Zimmerman was fantastic there in Gary. And, um, you know, we, we talk about the veteran guys there, Brad Albert, who, you know, was kind of a loner this season. that didn't, didn't have his, his, his partner there with him, Denning Gehrig. But, you know, came up with a great broadcast all season long. Joe Brand was phenomenal. And the veteran guys are great. But it's those new guys we had this season that I thought were fantastic. I, I enjoyed immensely listening to Sam up there in Lake, uh, Lake Country, and Ryan Zimmerman was fantastic. Tanner Hoops is going to be a star, I think. That, that guy has really got a bright future ahead of him. And uh, so it's going to be sad. I think we're going to see some changes in the broadcast most next year, but 12 broadcasters did a great job this season. Yeah, I'm really excited to see where Tanner Hoops um career takes them because you know up here in minnesota i get i i still get a fair dose of him he's doing score updates during minnesota go for football he's the voice of minnesota go for gophers volleyball so i mean the guy's all over the place and and not even just that but he's just just a real real good guy as you know that's a the first he just made such a great first impression on me when i got the chance to meet him out in sioux falls and you just hope for um, good things to happen down the road for him. Well, over the next six months, Kevin and I will have a lot of changes for you. Again, we'll be broadcasting, uh, looking at uh, back on the season. Next week, I believe we're going to start with uh, seeing we get Josh Buckholtz back on the show or Josh Schaub to talk us a little bit about their thoughts on the season as it ended, and then we'll start our uh, weekly 
recap of each of the teams. That's a good place to begin at, I think. So we'll start there. But um, I think that's it for this week, Kevin. Let's, let's get our best part of the show for the final uh, regular end of the season here with Kevin Lucco's final thoughts. Well, uh, well, first part of it is that about two hours ago, I shaved my beard off. Oh, so what happened there? I I looked in the mirror today and I thought, you know what, this beard is making me look heavy, and I thought, and it's a lot, there's a lot of white in it, so it was time to shave off the beard. And nice. I thought, you know, one season ends, one begins. Let's just go with a fresh look and. I want to take this part of the show to blame the American Association for now I have five dogs in my house because my wife thought that my trip to Fargo was a good time to adopt yet another puppy. So Ovi is now our latest and youngest addition to the household. So if I do any more long trips, I hate to see how many dogs are going to wind up in the house. So that's another part of my final thought. And my my last part of thought is, it's not even a thought, but just thanks. Thanks to everyone in the league that has worked with us throughout the year. Thanks to all you fans that tune into the show. Maybe uh, give us feedback. Maybe uh, just kind of lay in the weeds and just listen in and not really reach out to Rob and I, but, you know, we appreciate each and every one who week in and week out take the time to give us an hour and a half to two hours of their time and take in a podcast done by um, two guys that are just doing it for the love of the game. So thank you to all the fans out there, and um, thank you to all the teams who I know are all hard at work um, making a go of it with their organizations, trying to – be a good community member off the field and being a good um, competitive team on the field. So we appreciate every team in this league that goes out there and works their butts off for four months or however long it is during the season to give us a quality product for us to talk about every week. So thanks to everybody. Uh, also, I, I want to just piggyback on that and say a special thanks to to. Jennifer Andrici, who gave uh, great photographs all season long to Kevin and me, uh, Kevin and I, myself, um, for our stuff that we do. And so uh, she she made quite the tour this this summer getting around there. So uh, thank you, Jennifer, for all your hard work and uh, made it a lot more, made our articles look a lot more interesting with uh, your great pictures. So thank you for that as well. Well, I, we want to once again thank Anthony Renz for coming on here and sharing his thoughts on uh, winning the championship, and uh, we hope a bright future for him. So for Kevin Luco, I'm Rob Fanier. We will see you next time on This Week in the Association. <laughs>